Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're breaking down the Terry Rozier trade to the Miami Heat. So, the details of the trade. Terry Rozier goes to the Miami Heat. In return, the Hornets get Kyle Lowry and a 2027 first-round pick. Before we get into it, I wanted to talk about... Originally, I was going to do the midseason awards um, here on the podcast, but it actually got pushed twice because we did the Siakam trade. And now we've done, we're doing the Terry trade right now. So the midseason awards will probably be on uh, Friday. But I was thinking about it. And I, besides the playoffs, I think trades are the most fun thing in sports that there is. I mean, free agent signings are, are pretty exciting as well. But trades have two teams involved, sometimes more. And then there's also draft capital involved. Like there's there's the future and the present going on. And we've had two. I mean, the, the Siakam trade was bigger. And then this trade's like, it's a, it's a medium-sized trade, but it's a pretty interesting one because Terry's been a pretty fun player for a number of years. But, man, nothing better than trades. Also, when you're a content creator, you're like, oh, yes, that's just that's a free podcast episode. It's going to be simple. It's very straightforward. I don't have to think of any idea. <laughs> I just have to cover this interesting thing. <laughs> so I've, I've been texting about it all morning with people at Basketball Index, with friends. So trades are always fun. So let's get into the trade. I'm going to start with just the overview, the details. I'll recap them. I just said them. Um, then I'm going to do a scouting report on Terry Rozier and what the Hornets got back in return. And then we'll finish out talking about how Terry fits in with the Heat roster. So details of the trade, just recapping. The Heat, again, get Terry Rozier. He is a, we'll call him, I think in the past you'd call him a combo guard. We have him as a primary ball handler in our system. He's 6'1". He's a small guy. And in return, the Hornets are getting Kyle Lowry, who's like a million years old, and a 2027 first-round pick. Funny thing about Kyle Lowry is he's what he's got to be like 38 at this point. He's an expiring contract. Terry has a couple years left on his deal. But we'll get into all those details um, as we go through the episode. Let's start out with... Uh, also, Terry's got a good nickname. You know I like names. Scary Terry. So he's been on Charlotte for the past number of years. So no one has really seen him play. And he is a silky smooth scorer. So it's going to be cool. He's going to get a lot more spotlight playing on the Miami Heat. So just the the highlights alone will probably be pretty fun, regardless of how well the trade works out. But let's get into his scouting report. So just overview, I had him as a C-plus player in my rankings that just came out the other day. If you haven't read that article, head to the website, go to the articles. It's the top one. 2024 midseason player rankings, I think is what it's called. Really rolls off the tongue really smooth. <laughs> um, but yeah, Terry, C-plus player. He's flirted with being like a B-minus player in my mind. Again, really, really electric scorer. And he's in his prime, 29 years old. Like I said, primary ball handler, on-ball guy, and has been a point-of-attack defender on defense. Again, he's small. He's six one, so he's going to be out on the perimeter the entire game, not, not doing a whole lot around the basket on offense or defense, but really, really legit offensive pop is a scorer. If you go back and listen to probably our best episode here on the podcast, production versus efficiency, he probably leans more towards a production player where he's able to put up a lot of points. There's a little bit of playmaking out of him, not a ton, but can fill it up and can get really, really hot. So he can take over quarters, sometimes games, um, with just like really serious scoring impact. 
Funny enough, my player comp for Terry is Tyler Hero, and now they're on the same team against similar players. Good three-point shooters, really good overall shooters, smaller players, not a lot of defensive impact out of those guys, but they score in bunches, and that has value in the league. They're production guys, but in the, the broad spectrum of production guys, they're some of the better ones. So getting into his game, like I said, great shooter, really, really good from three has improved as a mid-range shooter throughout his career, but from high volume can be around 40% from three. So really, really good there. Not good around the rim. He, there is like some shot creation around the rim because some of it is a little confusing looking through his numbers because the Hornets are not a very good team. And it's been him and LaMelo Ball the past number of years. There's been a few other guys there, but they've been a very bad team. So some of his numbers are a little bit of like a a usage thing where he just has the ball a lot, where he's not very good at finishing around the rim. He has never been throughout his career. Again, at 6'1", that's really, really tough. He's a pretty good athlete. He moves well, but it's just that's, that's not his game. Again, really, really fantastic shooter, but inside the key, not so much. The, the rim shot creation is, I would imagine, an element of just having the ball more and just having to do more because the rim shot making, which is adjusted for difficulty, is, is very poor. <laughs> so he's a two-level scorer. The three ball has been really fantastic. That's probably his greatest skill set. It's good because it allows him to play both on and off ball. There's some pull-up threes, but then the catch-and-shoot threes, and then going to a better team, that is a skill that is coveted throughout the league that's very portable that will fit in pretty much anywhere where it's like, just stand there, (laughs) let Jimmy Butler attract two defenders, and then when you catch it, shoot it, (laughs) make it. So really, really good shooter, I would say, is the the main takeaway and can do it from two levels. So um, there's self-creation to that, which is good. Some of the self-creation at the rim, not so good, but that's that's kind of the three-level scoring. Uh, Passing, not much of a playmaker, turns the ball over a lot, doesn't provide high-quality looks for teammates. He does have some scoring gravity, which is good, and when needed, he can produce some volume. We call them like potential assists, whether they go in or not, whatever, right? But when the quality is historically low throughout his career, not the greatest thing. This is where we get into the production, where it's like you just had the ball probably a little more than you should have on a bad team, and you're going to rack up some amount of assist numbers, but playmaking, not really his game, but anytime you have this kind of scoring ability, there's going to be something coming off that, right? Say so it's similar to Tyler Hero, where again, not the greatest passer in the world, but when you can score as much as these guys do, you are going to attract some amount of defensive attention. You're going to cause some amount of rotations, and that's going to lead to some potential assists. So not an area that is a strength, but four stretches can produce some some potential assist volume, I guess is what we'll call it. Man, some of the phrasing I use on this is like real clunky. <laughs> um, but yeah, on offense, just recapping, I think the main takeaway, fantastic two-level shooter, not much of a passer, big-time scorer, can get really hot, has a microwave element, which I'm trying to think. can't off the top of my head, but him and Hero both have a microwave element, and I wonder if there's something to, you get enough microwaves in a room, there's a lot of microwave talk on this podcast, whether it's pot stickers or players. Uh, you get enough microwaves in a room, you turn them all on. I don't know what happens. It could be, could be interesting. Could be interesting. Uh, let's move to the defense. Overall, not very good. Um, has had pretty poor D. LeBron in majority of his seasons. 
that's not great. But like I said, when you're on a better team, your D LeBron's just going to be higher. And when you're on a worse team, it's going to be lower. Like if you're on the Pistons, you're it's, it's hard because you're not playing with a lot of NBA players. We throw you on the Celtics or the Timberwolves and you have Rudy Gobert behind you. You have Jaden McDaniels next to you. That's just going to naturally help things. The Heat, a very good team defensively, both from a coaching standpoint and from a talent standpoint. So that's going to help his defensive numbers. But the defensive playmaking is really poor. Some of that is just a size thing when you're 6'1". I'm not saying you can't. Like Jose Alvarado is a case where you can create like a lot of defensive pressure, a lot of like on-ball steals. But when you're 6'1", just racking up things like deflections, and it's just it can be difficult because you're just taking up less space. Uh, if you look at his on-ball on defensive number, so our stat is perimeter isolation defense, and it looks at how much you suppress attempts and lower shot quality when you're guarding on-ball. And that's been okay. So he's been a point-of-attack defender throughout his career. They're going to need him to do some of that on the heat because he's replacing Kyle Lowry, who's a pretty good defender, even though he's like 45 years old. Can you collect... Social Security and be in the NBA at the same time. Kyle Lowry's going to figure out if he can. He's going to keep. He's just going to keep playing. I don't think he could get much slower, and he's still at like a C minus D plus level as a player. So I don't know. Maybe it just he could just play for the night. He could be Julio Franco. I mean, baseball fans are going to get that reference. He could be the Julio Franco of the league. Uh, but Terry Rozier's his perimeter isolation defense has been around league average compared to on-ball players, which is fine. That's probably an, the area he's the strongest at on defense. It's been all right. The matchup difficulty has been a little bit above average, so it's not like he's just avoiding players. We have a low activity role where they're just hiding you. He's not in that. But you could get some value out of that. You know, you get a little heat culture in you. You're standing next to some better defenders and Jimmy and Bam, and you, you could provide solid to decent to passable defense. And all of a sudden it becomes worth it because you're, you're given so much offense on the other end. You're given spacing on the other end. So I think defensively, we're going to get into it later in terms of lineup combinations. But this team does have some roster options to where I think you could schematically get around it. But overall defensively has never been very good. The defensive playmaking is bad. And on ball is okay. I would say the one bright spot is he's been pretty good defending ball screens. And that's, you know, it's a valuable skill come playoff time. So yeah, there's your silver lining. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's going to wrap it up. That was sort of like a, a running through real quick, just kind of Terry's scattering report. Like I said, overall, probably a C plus player, really good offensive juice, great shooter. The size is an issue on both sides of the court. It just it limits what he can do. Microwave element and on defense, not a lot of impact. P pretty low near the bottom of the league. Again, going to help going to the heat, but don't expect him to be your defensive stopper. All right, let's talk about what the Hornets got in the trade. The Hornets get Kyle Lowry on an expiring contract, and they get a first-round pick in 2027. So... What is it, 2024? So that picks a couple years off. I think you're probably pretty happy with this if you're the Hornets because you get off salary because... So Terry Rozier's contract has two more years after this one 
at about $25 million a year, which it's not a terrible contract by any means. It's maybe a, eh, it's okay, right? Like ideally you'd want to be paying him maybe $20 million instead of $25 million. But as far as all contracts in the league go, it's not a it's not a super notable one. There's only two more years left on it. He's 29 right now. He's in his prime. You're going to get him through age 30 and 31. It's it's not the end of the world. It's fine. The Kyle Lowry contract is expiring, so you're the Hornets. You're in rebuild mode. It gives you some cap flexibility. It gives you, if you want to go out and sign free agents, whatever it may be. You're, if you're in the business of making money, which I don't know who owns the Hornets anymore because Jordan sold them, right? If you're in the business of making money, getting money off the books, and you replace it with players you draft that aren't getting paid as much, you get over that salary floor, you get under the salary cap, it's not a bad way to run a business. <laughs> so you you get off the money of Terry, you get a first-round pick in return, which I feel like is kind of expected that's what i would imagine you would get from from most teams i did a, an exercise last offseason where it was how many first round picks is every player worth if you were just were to trade for them in a vacuum and terry's a guy who's probably worth one first round pick and not, not an elite first round pick but one in the first round so the value seems fine in return for the hornets and you get uh, some money freed up so from the Hornets' standpoint, I don't know if Kyle Lowry is going to remain on the team or be a buyout option he could be an interesting buyout guy for a team just in terms of he still is a pretty good defender. Can't do a lot on offense. There is some element of game manager to him where he understands we're bringing the ball up the court. I need to deliver it where it needs to be delivered on time. <laughs> and there is like some ball handling. There's teams maybe that, that could use him. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where he goes if he's bought out. If he doesn't, I guess, you know, you just have a, a veteran player on the Hornets. But we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Uh, moving on. I want to talk about where Terry Rozier fits on the heat. So I was going through their depth chart. And I was taking a look at what they have. And I think they got they got nine guys in the rotation I'm pretty comfortable with. So you have Terry and Hero as your your smalls both you know pretty good scores non-defenders and then they're pretty deep at the forward position you got jimmy butler obviously you have duncan robinson shooter which actually shooter plus can do a little bit more this year jaime Hawkes is a really promising rookie that can do a little bit of everything he can pass he can score uh haywood highsmith is which i did not know his nickname is the locksmith which is a very cool nickname he's a defensive specialist has been really good in d lebron one of the best forwards this year so fits into that defensive specialist role kevin love is playing out of his mind this year in a limited role and you know stretch four can rebound he's been the same guy for a number of years caleb martin high energy guy is always near the top of the, the list in like defensive miles run pretty good defender I like him. Obviously, he had the big playoff run last year. So you're like, he's got a little something special in him. So there's quite a few forwards they have. And uh, lastly, they have Bam, obviously, as their center. So that's nine guys in the rotation. And you need spacing around Jimmy and Bam, right? Those are your two best players. They're both non-shooters. Unless it's Jimmy in the playoffs, then he just starts hitting threes. But you need spacing around those guys because that's not what they do. And they need space to operate. You have Terry, you have Hero, and you have Duncan Robinson, who are all very strong shooters, which is great in terms of, so like the way I look at three-point shooters, 
there's viable shooters where someone that comes to mind is like, like this year on the Lakers, Torian Prince. Like he's a viable three-point shooter. If you leave him open over the course of a season, he's probably going to perform at league average efficiency. So like 36, 37% from three. And then maybe because he's on a, uh, a team with some stars, he's going to get better shot quality. It might overperform that. But you're comfortable that over the course of a season, this person is viable from three. They're going to be hot. They're going to be cold as the season goes, but you're fine with it. And then on top of that, you have, we'll call them, because we call them movement shooters uh, at Basketball Index. So you have stationary shooters, guys that just stand still. And then you have movement shooters you can do a little bit more with. So like Duncan Robinson typically has been a movement shooter throughout his career where not only is are they great spot-up options, but you can run them off screens, they can move around, they can relocate, they can have their feet moving and still be able to hit threes. They can pressure defenses that way. They can take handoffs, and it just adds an element to your team. Terry Hero and Duncan can all do that. They're all plus shooters. So all of a sudden you have quite a few options on a team for, and you also have Kevin Love who gives you a spacing element from the four. So all of a sudden this team has a lot of shooting, which gives you a lot of options. And come playoff time, I am, especially with shooters, it's great to have high-end options, but I am someone that wants multiple guys you can go to because somebody's going to get hot and somebody's going to get cold in the series and that's just the nature of things so if you have a number of options that can be really useful because like first round right maybe tyler hero can't throw it in the ocean but duncan's hot and then in the second round terry goes off like if you have depth that is quality it obviously is going to lead to good things so that trio of shooters around jimmy and bam i really like a lot you're going to need to stagger them i think because None of those three are very good defenders. It's the classic case of like, are you going to have more defenders on the court? Or are you going to have more offense on the court? And obviously, Spolstra is a very good coach. He's going to be able to figure that out. Maybe you run those three with Jimmy and Bam and you just have an offense lineup where you're like, hey, we're going to give some up, but net rating, we're going to win here in spurts. I'm not sure. But when your stars lean towards defense like Jimmy and Bam, you can get away with more offensive-oriented role players because... They're a unique case where, like, Jimmy Butler is a fantastic wing defender, generates a lot of turnovers. Bam, obviously, extremely versatile, great defender. Don't need to go into that really on this podcast. But they're a rare case where the top two players on the team are both really strong defenders. That's that's not normally how it goes. So you need to fill out your team a little bit differently. And I like the idea of, like, hey, we have some more offensive oriented guys in Terry and Hero and we know they're not the greatest defenders but I think we can get away with it because of the rest of our lineup and like I said you can mix it up you can have you know Terry on the floor when Highsmith's out there you can have Hero on the floor when Caleb Martin's out there and you can mix and match to still have some point of attack some wing stoppers out there while hopefully bolstering your offensive rating so I like the Heat's roster in terms of options now. They have nine guys. They have some real depth to figure things out. They can sustain an injury. And, I mean, let's face it. For the last number of years, they've been a really good defensive-oriented team that just has not had enough offense. And Jimmy Butler's had to go to just superhero mode in the playoffs. Adding Terry really helps because he's just a really strong offensive player. He, not only, again can score on ball, but his spacing off ball, the really strong three-point shooting game is something I like a lot. So overall, 
the Heat traded for like a C minus D plus player. Because again, Kyle Lowry's defensive value is still pretty good, but they went from like a C minus D plus guy to like a C plus flirting with B minus over the past few years. That seems like a good upgrade, and really, you only gave up a first round pick. So I like that. It makes sense on paper. I understand the vision of it. It's a mid-level deal that didn't cost a ton. Again, one first-round pick in 2027. The one thing I'm a little worried about is the skill redundancy with Hero and Terry. That could hurt the team. Again, high-production guys that have never been particularly efficient. There's the possibility that their three-point shooting can, can help with that. The more they get off ball, the more they're playing with each other, right? kind of feeding off each other's gravity there's some hope there but that's the one thing of like oh these two guys kind of do the same thing they're both kind of smaller players not great defenders that like to shoot the ball (laughs) so well we'll see how that goes but overall interesting trade i like that the heat decided to do something trades are always fun and yeah it's gonna wrap it up for this episode let me know what you think at taylor metrics on twitter And we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.